he first said that, I was like, this does not sound interesting. And then <laughs> when you explain it, it's like, what? You're listening to Insecu Science, where each episode we meet a different scientist, find out about the stories behind the discoveries they make and the lives that they live. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this episode, I'm joined by mathematician, business developer, and space exploration entrepreneur, Solange Kunin. Solange, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I, did, I, did I pronounce your name right? I should yeah. check that. Great. Yeah. Good. Also a good start. <laughs> So, Solange, I want to ask, if given the opportunity to go to space, would you do it? Uh, yeah, of course I would. I Good. don't know many people that wouldn't. <laughs> it would be amazing. Although it's why I, I always uh, wanted to go, go to Mars and always thought I'd be that first person. I yeah. taught my nieces and nephews where to find Mars in the sky so that they could wave to their, to their auntie Lala and things like that. <laughs> but, but my I, my partner now says that <laughs> I'm not allowed to do a one-way trip. <laughs> well, yeah, people are talking about it now. If the first people would probably be a one-way trip. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so Even that's tempting? Uh, I'm a very social creature. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I, like, not a one-way. Like, I, I enjoy people's company. Not even to be the first person to be that groundbreaking explorer? Look, it's tempting. <laughs> it is. It's very tempting. The other thing I'd worry about is if, like, people would have to live with me in a confined space for many a month. <laughs> yeah. Like, to, to get there. about the other people on the trip. I, I, I'm slightly annoying. More than slightly annoying to, <laughs> to live with. <laughs> I'm quite loud That's and you. annoying. <laughs> I won't comment. That's fine. <laughs> Where like, I'm the worst person to have in the house if you've got a hangover. <laughs> so not in a space shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember where your fascination with space started? Yeah, I get asked this a lot, actually. Um, has it just always been there? Well, I don't know. So I, I had a really odd upbringing, like, kind of, like, not standard. So I grew up in a forest. Um, mm. Out of town in the, in the country. Um, and it's like a black zone for... For light pollution, so there's. Oh wow! That'd so be I great. grew up. Yeah, so I grew up. Whereabouts is that? The, uh, just um, mid north coast of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up with like the full pelt of like the Milky Way, and mm. you know, my dad was a sailor, and he, you know, we'd always like, go up and look at the constellations. Although I call them all different, like different things to what everyone else does, because apparently he taught me all the wrong <laughs> names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I thought Orion was like the saucepan, but anyway. I got taught the saucepan. Is it? Yeah. As an adult, I've been like chastised over that. Isn't it part of the Big Dipper or something? Is the, the handle and then it goes yeah. down? Yeah. Oh. Well, someone, I, I got ridiculed for that at one point because they're like, it's clearly Orion. Well, whatever. My dad told me it was the saucepan. <laughs> <laughs> Which is clearly, it's more mundane than Orion. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that I'm right, but I know what you're talking about. There's definitely a saucepan. <laughs> um, but so I just grew up, grew up under that, and I don't really, I don't really know why. But like I was like, apparently from like the age of like five, for some reason I wanted to be like a physicist or a particle physicist and work at CERN. I must watch something on SBS or something. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how a five year old knows about this kind of stuff. Um, it was kind of just like an obsession. Mm. A little bit, a little bit of an obsession. It was very much like a farm girl who would like be 
running around with the animals and, you know, building stuff. But, yeah. you know, I begged Santa Claus for my first uh, telescope when I was about eight. Mm. So it's just, it's, it's, it wasn't like mind consuming as I was growing up, but it was always just there. And it was always just kind of, that's what I was going to do. I didn't know about the shuttle program. Like, I didn't grow up with the high tech part of space. Mm. I grew up with a very natural, because my parents are complete hippies. Um, I grew up <laughs> <laughs> with like the very natural aspect of space, mm. um, you know, the, the night sky, and you know, you know, one of the, one of the only memories I have of primary school was we had we came to Sydney and we went to the observatory. Mm. I went to primary school where there was less than they were going to they were in a constant state of almost getting shut down, so mm-hmm. there was always between. 20 and 28 kids in the whole school kind of thing but we we got to go to sydney for some reason i don't know why but we did we got to go <laughs> the to the observatory sydney. yeah, yeah and we went to the observatory and like I, that's why one of my only memories as a kid is actually being shown the like the bunny rabbit on the moon is and things like that <laughs> you know it's like it's like it's, it's, yeah it's odd mm. there were obviously the things that stuck with me that actually yeah yeah i don't know why but yeah i mean it's great that you have those memories does it give you a like a nice warm fuzzy feeling to think that you're now working in space exploration and <laughs> yeah, yeah having, having that background yeah no it is good i think now people think that i'm like i know even more <laughs> than i probably do about <laughs> space <laughs> but yeah no it's great and you know i've been able to influence the policy and regulations around it now and for Australia or anyway yeah. and, and have like an actual impact on it which is a bit odd mm-hmm. going from the bush barefooted bush kid <laughs> to, <laughs> to that so we should actually explain what you do so you along with your business partner Sebastian Chowie have started a company called Cube Rider that is probably one of the most unique startup companies that have heard of because <laughs> you're an educational initiative that gets kids involved in space exploration not pretend space exploration not simulated space exploration actual space exploration discuss <laughs> how do you do this <laughs> yeah so you know like i wasn't we, we weren't the most engaged people in science at school, mm-hmm. um, but we both kind of persevered through it and into our engineering and science degrees um, because of our passion for space. And then by the time we got to uni, we we realised just how screwed up and like in in like in desperate the education system was. Not screwed up, but like it, it, it's just broken. It's just, mm. it's just actually it's just broken. It's not working. Um, and we thought, well, if space can inspire us to, to persevere and engage in, in those subjects, then we can use it to inspire the rest of the nation to do it. Yeah. And, and so, that's where it came, really came from. Yeah. And so, like, what's the process of it? Hire kids exploring space. So they... We, well, what, we've got an... What does CubeRider do yeah. is the short answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've got, like, an entire curriculum and pro education program that mm-hmm. gets embedded within the science classroom so you don't go to science you go to mission control <laughs> and we send out uh, NASA approved hardware which is super simple 
most of it's open source and, and commercially available, but we've put it all together in a way that NASA says yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically just a, a sensor module, so a dozen different sensors on there. And so they learn how to code it, they learn how to get the data, analyze the data, make meaningful conclusions from the data, which is something that lots of people miss when they learn of <laughs> statistics. Like, actually, what does that mean? Um, and then that's all based around preparing them and their you know, uh, mission training for their space mission. So by the end of the program, they write a piece of code that collects data in mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. for some kind of experiment or project that they're doing, that they've chosen to do. The more creative, the better. Mm-hmm. And we launch that out to the International Space Station so, and then run it up there so they actually get the real space data and they get to watch a rocket go up and be like, hey, I'm part of that one. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's pretty amazing. So each school group gets a little you know, sensor or a little you know, chip yep. that will get shot into space, collect data just for that school group and sent back to them. And that's great because that's, you know, it's not just, you know, sweeping for data. The kids actually have to figure out, all right, what question are we going to ask? That's been the hardest part for a lot of people as well is, like, we, we give you a dozen sensors, we give you time and space, go, go wild, but mm. then it's really hard to actually think about what you want to, what, you, what you're going to do in space, and that blank canvas yeah. is actually really daunting. So it's, you know, that's something we weren't, init- a hurdle we weren't expecting to have to overcome, but, mm-hmm. we, but it's, yeah, it's just interesting. So we, we go through a full design thinking kind of process now mm-hmm. um, and have like a part- scientist partnership program now so that... You come up with good, spark, good questions. Start sparking, yeah. I mean, that's essentially getting at what, what you plan to do is to sort of overhaul the education system, particularly in science, because what science is all about is asking questions mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. testing hypotheses and that's exactly what exactly this what system doing. is about. I, I don't know, I get the feeling that people have this idea that science is just bookkeeping of facts and knowledge, but it's it's really the question. Yeah, I mean, they they really haven't changed the, they, the way they teach science mm. in the last, like, hundred years. Yeah. And so science classrooms are still blackboards. Maybe they've upgraded to whiteboards. Maybe they've got a smart board, but it's <laughs> usually got permanent marker or a whiteboard marker on it. Mm. It's usually used as, like, a projector screen kind of thing, you know, and it's... This we're using bounce and burners and ticker tapes and, <laughs> you know, like the... You know, and... And you learn about the scientific method and you just, that's a class, you know, and you don't, it's, mm. you probably apply it once or twice in your whole, in your whole, properly, like, like mm. consciously in your whole education experience. I remember, it's burnt into my memory, my first ever science class in high school. I was super excited because of all the possibilities of what we could do. And they got us doing an experiment of how many water droplets could you put on top of a five cent piece before the water spilled over the edge. And <laughs> that was the experiment they had us do. Was that fun? Did no, that? I was I was livid. Because <laughs> it was the most dull thing on the planet. It was this whole idea, we're going to, you know, teach you experiments 
you know, simple first, and then get more complicated. Yeah. And so you had to, you know, try and predict how many drops would fit on, and then test to see if you're right. But see, that's the thing is that people think that kids aren't capable of doing stuff. But you talk to kids, and they're so capable. They're like adults. They're yeah. Seriously, like adults, and they might not know formulas or content off the top of their head, but they know how to wiki it better than you do, anyway, <laughs> right? Like, they <laughs> they know how to find that information better than any of us, anyway. So they're they're literally, I don't know, I don't. I, I find that I get really frustrated actually when you hear teachers just just completely underestimate the capabilities of their students. And like actually, they're completely capable of doing this. Maybe you're the one that's not. Mm. And um, you know, by you being scared of taking that yeah. that dive, your your students are going to miss out. Mm. It's very annoying. I mean, so speaking of you know, bad education experiences, I wanted to ask you about mathematics. So, so you have a background in mathematics. Now, for me, this was another one of those subjects where it was taught very badly in school, and it meant that as an adult, I had that sort of aversion towards it. But then when I started working in science, I started to see that mathematics was the key to everything. Oh, yeah. And there was so much Is potential. it like the matrix? Like, it's just math. Math it, everywhere. <laughs> the the blueprint for the universe. Yeah. And looking back on it now, at how they taught math in school, it's just got me thinking, how can you get that wrong? How can you make that it's so fundamental. boring? I mean, did you have a good you know, maths education as a kid? Is that how you ended yeah, up I did. studying it? Yeah, I did. I did. I had to, but you know, it wasn't about the way that they taught it. Um, they taught it in the same way, but it was just about the relationship I had with those teachers. Mm. You know, they treated me the way I, I needed to be treated, like as a little mini adult, as opposed to mm. some lesser child. <laughs> um, you know, there, there was that mutual kind of respect. Um, and I think everyone in our class has benefited from having teachers that did that. Mm. And we just had teachers that just genuinely really loved maths. Yeah. They were excited to love to be there and teach us maths. Mm. And I get that I was in the top class in my school, and so obviously, you know, we got the best teachers in the faculty or whatever. But just made a. It's the only reason why I did maths degree. Well, because I just, I just, I just have a really positive outlook on math. Like I just think, I look forward to doing math. Mm. Not, not like pure math. Like that stuff's a little bit too much for me. That's like. I have to really, really work hard to to get pure maths, but you know, <laughs> applied. applied applied maths is just really fun. Mm. It's just fun, and it's like yeah, every now and then you struggle a little bit, but then when you get that eureka moment, it's just like it's just fun. So like, it's like I don't know, I I just enjoy it, but it's purely just down to these down to these teachers, and I guess also like my my parents also think it's very fundamental, mm-hmm. um, and so they would. You know, if you do well in maths, that was like, they were, they were genuinely impressed with that kind of thing. Mm. And they saw that as a really great achievement and a really great thing. So I had a similar experience with, I guess, music in school. And that I had a teacher that genuinely loved music. And it was that passion that she showed that really made the rest of the entire class just really passionate about music. So is it just that we need you know, teachers who are genuinely passionate 
about what they do, or does maths education need a total overhaul the way you're overhauling science education? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think having passionate teachers and ones that want to be there actually makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. But, but the way that yeah, sci- science and maths could be done a lot better. I think. Well, mm. obviously, I think that with with science, maths is a bit of a tricky one, right? Because it's like everything builds upon the, something else that you've learned, and it's like if you miss something fundamental at the start of maths. Mm-hmm you're really going to struggle at the other end. You know, it's really, you can't just go in at a graduate or level and having not done maths before and expect to get it. Like, you really, it there, mm. there is a stepping stone kind of pathway to it. And so there's kind of, you know, I, I kind of think, you know, if you get 75% in a test, you're off to the next level. Mm. But you've missed 25% which mm-hmm. is going to be drawn on at some point in the future, but you haven't understood it. Are you of the opinion then that because maths is quite procedural, if you understand it all, then really you should be getting 100%? Is that... Well, from a con- conceptually, yeah. Like, I guess, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> in a perfect world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because... It's not open to interpretation. No. Um, no, but it's also, it's also if you miss something in year seven the chances are you're not going to quite get the next level of it in year eight. Hmm. You know, you really need to understand each level of it um, to get the next one. Otherwise, you're just going to get like a, in engineering terms, it's kind of like how the errors propagate and kind of, there's very few chances to like yeah. bring it back down and, and, and even it out so you're at like an evil playing field. But that's really pretty unique to math. Mm-hmm. Um, science isn't really like that, mm-hmm. you know, like because there are so many different areas within science. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel, yeah, I think I think maths can be taught very differently, but also like you know, like, there are some pretty there are some pretty you know progressive ideas around education now, mm-hmm. and that like do we want to split up people in age groups and year groups or do we want to split them up on ability mm-hmm. and things like that and so you progress based on your ability not your mm-hmm. age and so in terms of cube writer the, the education that they get is about uh, programming no that's just one part so oh, okay. there's like there's like a million different places on the internet that you can go to learn how to program right yeah uh, but I mean, fun, they're getting a like really well-rounded science education. So they learn all the physics mm-hmm. um, and space science and a lot of the earth science as well um, that they need to get through that and actually have like educated experiments in mm-hmm. space, um, which basically covers absolutely all of the physics curriculum in high school. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of the space science in, in, in high school. They learn all the statistics, they learn how to do data science, they learn one language in programming, but it's, uh, it's they learn what they need to do for, mm-hmm. to do with the space experiment. It's not really the core of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is like digital literacy, right? Just mm-hmm. using, everything they do is using technology. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like they're coding, and, 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 but they're actually using 
hardware and they're learning about embedded systems and they're seeing all the little <laughs> circuits on the and and you know they're actually having to go in and make videos and presentations and things like that in a meaningful kind of way mm. and use excel like, properly and you know like do proper you're seeing the whole process stuff. from start yeah. to finish yeah everything that takes along the way so if schools want to get involved in it what do they need to do um so to get involved in the program we just we you work with one of our partner school liaisons to make sure our mm-hmm. program's the right fit for your school it's mm-hmm. not the right fit for every school um and, and every teacher as well so we it's just a conversation to be had. So just jump just, on the website yep, and get in online. contact. Yep, and then one of us will reach out and see if it's going to work. All right, and we can probably, I don't know, can we announce that we've had a successful yeah, space yeah. mission? Yeah, absolutely. So your first space mission with uh, student programmed sensors mm-hmm. uh, has got launched and is back. Well, the date is back. Tell me, how did what happened? Tell us the story. <laughs> <laughs> so we we launched on a Japanese rocket last year, mm-hmm. and last year in December, um, and spent January getting set up on the space station and getting everything all ready. Which which space station is this? The International Space the, the, Station. The space station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. All right. The station. <laughs> the station. There's only one. Okay. As far as we know. <laughs> um, and yeah, in the last couple of weeks, we've started getting all of the data back and having the students' experiments run successfully and then published back to them so mm-hmm. that they can go through and actually analyze the results, find their conclusions, or some of them are doing creative projects so like they can actually go and do that that project now. All right. What sort of, what sort of data are we talking here? Mm. So there's like 12 sensors. Mm-hmm. So things from like all the way from thermometers all the way through to like UV radiation. Mm-hmm. So stuff that you would you, you know use here on Earth, um, but can come up with some interesting things to do in space as well. <laughs> and so as as part of doing this and making this available to kids, CubeRider has achieved a whole lot of uh, first time ever's <laughs> in the Australian space history right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what were they was it the first ever australian so it's the first time australia has ever been involved in the international space station okay we've never had anything to do with it mm-hmm. and unfortunately i mean i don't think that's a good thing i wish we had <laughs> you know uh but so we, the, our, our kids in our program were the first ones to to be involved and run experiments from mm-hmm. australia <laughs> on the international space station which is which is very cool for them so mm-hmm. they literally made history uh, we're the first ones to really go through the legal process here in Australia, as a you know outside of like big big communication satellites that have massive legal teams, mm-hmm. um, and so we helped um, you know advise on the reforms of of the regulations and laws around that because mm-hmm. to update it. <laughs> so, is, so is space becoming more open then. Yeah, well, it's just becoming a, easier to engage with from a legal perspective and mm-hmm. from a policy and government perspective um, because all the laws were kind of set up based around military and, you know, big, big, big space, multi-million dollar space missions, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of 
old space and new space is agile and cheap and 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 renewable kind of. Yeah. This is space. what people talk about when they talk about you know, democratizing space, you know, making it available to everyone. Yeah, I think I think that's more about like the affordability that of it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think there's a long way to go with that actually, because you still have to have quite a lot of technical expertise to go to space. <laughs> Um, so it's not really <laughs> yeah, democratized at hard. this point. You still need rocket scientists to be part of your team. Yeah. I think if you want to make space truly democratized, it needs to be available to people who don't have a PhD. And <laughs> you know, that's not really democratized. It's still only like a couple of percent of the population. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, de- it's definitely become way more affordable so that more people can access it mm-hmm. from affordability perspective affordability perspective and then the regulations just mean that it's kind of it's kind of lending towards it like having a commercial market for space Mm. which is in line with the rest of the world so we can you know have something to do with the spacex's of the world yeah so could that be a potential future for companies like cubewriter is having individuals organizations some booking space on the sensors that you provide sort of thing yeah, so that's the, I think that's the that's the point of the you know new space is that it's that it is like easier access to all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if people be able to book on ours unless they're a student. <laughs> yeah, you stick with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so you've uh, started your own company. You've kicked off the Australian space industry. You've just had your first successful mm-hmm. space launch I'm going to ask the question that you get asked every single time you do an interview and I'm sure you're sick of it oh yeah how old are you? no I'm 24 <laughs> <laughs> you get asked that every time right? every there. time yeah. sometimes I ask me to introduce myself with my age and I'm like that's not uh, how I talk normally I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 32 this year I made a coffee table out of an old skateboard and some cricket stumps. That's super cool. <laughs> that was I my... want to make a coffee table out of crates. That's okay. what I want to do. <laughs> that was it my achievement the for the year. Uh, how does it feel? Does it... Like you're stuck right in the middle of this whirlwind. Do you feel the achievements? Do I feel them? Yeah. Mm. When that rocket took off, I felt ecstatic. Like mm. it was the craziest feeling ever <laughs> when that rocket took off. When that rocket took off, um, mm. I guess the rest of it, I haven't really had a chance to stop and look back and reflect at it because I was just—it's just been so busy and hectic. Mm. <laughs> I at some point this year, I'm I'm gonna go and have my honeymoon and things like that, and I'm gonna have a chance to actually stop and. And like, just reflect on the year. <laughs> the last That's right. Because you got married right in the middle of. I got engaged right in the middle of it, and we don't, I don't have time to get married at this okay. point. Okay. But at some point this year, I'm gonna have to right. make time. So we're gonna do the marriage first, and then the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even worried about the the, the wedding part. Okay, I'm worried about yeah. the, the. I want a vacation. <laughs> yeah, you can go to space. Organizing the wedding is gonna be easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just want a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so now that the mission's been successful, you, you still can't relax. You've got to 
Mm. Get all this data. We've got we've crunched. already well no, it's it's you know, we've already got another we've already doubled the number of students that are doing the program this year. Mm-hmm. So we've got to do this year's space mission. Okay, and is there a launch date scheduled yet? Not yet, not yeah. yet. So we've got to pick what rocket we're gonna go on. Oh. You get to choose. What <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you do get a little bit of choice because there's more than one rocket that goes to the station. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got the choice between two American ones, mm-hmm. SpaceX and Orbital Sciences, and then Japan and Russia. Okay. So we've got we've got four rockets, and it just depends on their timelines. And so, obviously, none of these. Rockets are coming from Australia Mm-mm. right now. Mm-mm. Does Australia need a space industry? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I, I think we, you know, the time's come for us to have a national space agency, mm-hmm. our own NASA. Um, the, the economic and social benefits of it are just, you can't argue with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the return on investment from a from a government perspective is you can't argue with it mm-hmm. um, and we can look at other countries to see what that is and it's actually you know you can get minimum 4x return on, on your investment into a space agency or a space industry Where where's the money coming from what's for people outside of the space industry you know what what are we talking about in real terms here is it money from you're maintaining so for, your own satellites, or what? What is this? So, for for an, uh, a national space agency, the, mm-hmm. money, the initial investment has to come from the government, obviously. Yep. Um, and yeah, it, it can be from anywhere from Earth observation. So, right now, we spend billions of dollars buying data and pictures of Earth in okay. Australia. Yeah. Um, and it would actually just be cheaper to have our own satellites up there, mm-hmm. collecting our own data, instead of just buying the data of other people's satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've had two MBN satellites and an Optus satellite go up. Mm-hmm. Not a single Australian engineer was employed to build those. <laughs> they were completely done offshore. All right. Um, you know, and as a result, you know, I did aerospace engineering as well. Mm-hmm. Only one or two of us expected to be able to stay in Australia to do it, to, to get a job in our field. Yeah. So everyone goes, but actually there's work here. Yeah. But we just send it over. It's... It's, yeah, it makes no sense, right? Because so before Kubernetes, you were working for what was the company again? Um, I wasn't. I was a student. Well, when you did, oh, did you an internship or something with a space oh, yeah, exploration? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so at a at a like satellite, like um, what's it called? Well, basically, just they they do this amazing like real time um, prediction of of satellite movements and okay. and things like that. Um, it's, yeah, it's like engineering software, but combined with um, gaming software, so it's actually user-friendly <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, good. Yeah, so it seems like Australia has you know, the expertise and the... Uh, Everything's there for mm-hmm. us to have mm-hmm. our space industry. What do you? Why? Why hasn't it happened? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I think we it, 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 we just need to decide to do it, and by we I mean like government needs mm-hmm. to just decide to do it. Um, yeah. New Zealand decided to do it, and within three months they had one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just a matter of deciding to why we haven't done it. 
I don't really know. I'm, I'm sure it's a mixture of a hundred different political things. <laughs> well, if New Zealand's done it, surely that we're the on last, its own. We're the last OECD country to to not have one. Oh. We, um, you know, there's Algeria and South Africa and mm. Vietnam. They all have space agencies. So a little while ago, I spoke to Tom Gordon, who's a science communicator and uh, also a member of the Science Party which is a political party now in Australia. Okay. And all their policies... I guess what makes them different is they make sure all their policies have to be evidence-based, not okay. necessarily opinion-based. Okay. Uh, and his particular role in the Science Party was to write their space policy. And he had really compelling arguments about you know, the fact that Australia is in a perfect position to do this stuff because we have a really big coastline and we have lots of empty space and we're a perfect launch pad for rockets and we have well the really issue with that is that it, with, we're, we're not very close to the equator We've, so okay. there's limited parts of Australia that are ideal for launching rockets right so you, you need to be closer to the equator so yeah we Why have is parts that just of because Australia because there's less... just the spin of the earth and like Orbital mechanics, right? Got it. Right, I want to ask. Rockets. Well, it's, it's significantly harder and more more expensive to launch away from the equator. Okay. Um, so we can, and we, we absolutely can. Um, but that's another can of fish, right? Launch Launching facilities are another can of fish. Mm. It's the riskiest part of space. You can have a really successful space industry without launching anything as well. Really? What yeah, would that like, look like? Everyone's got this really, really stereotypical kind of movie-esque view of what space means. And for them, it's like launching rockets and mm. astronauts and going to Mars. That's not like 99% of space, isn't that? 99% of space is sending a medium-sized satellite up to low Earth orbit to take images of or, or do some kind of... Um, remote sensing of Earth mm-hmm. uh, and and the actual space mission itself is to you know have some kind of Earth-based solution so you know quick and easy monitoring of bushfires and, mm-hmm. and their damage or you know the river flows and growth and drying up and things like that like that's the real monitoring of like maritime ships as they cross the Pacific Ocean <laughs> you know like you know real real issues that we have here that are significantly easier from space mm. like even like the moni- like the monitoring um, the Great Barrier Reef and what's happening there or mm. you know all of that stuff is super easy from space but super expensive here on Earth mm-hmm. like the Great Barrier Reef is huge right huge like hundreds of kilometers long but you, like you could, you see all that instantly from space. Mm-hmm. Whereas, can you can you imagine the cost of getting you know, like either like a UAV or a plane or a helicopter to just constantly go up and down? Mm-hmm. It, it's so much more expensive than sending a satellite <laughs> up and getting a photo every orbit. And so, Australians, we well, I guess what you're saying is we could be building our own satellites, if not yeah. our own rockets. Build the satellites themselves, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, the rockets the most risky part of the space mission. Mm you can avoid that I would <laughs> but I'm a business person now so I kind of like you know that's the riskiest part you want to you want to de-risk it and that's I 
there's more to space than what you see in the movies. Yeah. And and what you see in the movies doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best thing for a country to do in space. Mm-hmm. Well, right now you're you're leading the charge in a lot of ways. And so, what's next for CubeRider? Is getting more students on board and getting these next missions happening? Yeah. So we'd we'd love to be in every classroom around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got mission twenty seventeen coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we're making a real impact in in space just by being there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be lovely to see us make some real impact on the education sector as well. Mm-hmm. And not and on a on a broader scale like we have in space, um, and reaching more individuals. Sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right, all's lunch. Thanks so much yeah. for coming on. Thanks for having me. Can we send people to the website to find out more? What's the website? Yeah, just cubrider dot com. So it's just C U B E Rider. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. Cool. All the best. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. If you want to hear more episodes or find out more, check out InSituScience.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter with the handle at InSituScience. I'm on Twitter with the handle at Hanlon. If you want to help out the podcast, uh, make sure to subscribe and jump on iTunes and give us a review. And until next time, have fun. We'll talk later.